All right, folks, welcome back to Hot Takes Only. This is episode 24. Willie, my guy, welcome back to the show. How you doing this evening? I'm doing great, bro. Good to see you. Good to see mm-hmm. you as well, my guy. Uh, here we are. Yeah. October 29th, and there's no baseball. Yeah. Um, I'm sad. I got to be honest. That's, that's, the only, that's the only emotion right now, really. I mean, yes, congratulations to the Dodgers. Well-deserved. First title since 1988. But mm. it means no more baseball until February, and that's just the re- beginning of spring training. So, you know, you and I being the baseball fans we are, I think we're, we're pretty upset to see the end of a season. But like you and I were just talking about before we decided to hit this record button, uh, we didn't think we'd be here. We didn't think we'd have a season. No, and I was, I was very worried that even during the season they weren't going to complete it. I mean, there were so many COVID. Teams had COVID outbreaks, and it was just – it was. but at the end of the day – to get into the postseason and then to really not have COVID problems until like the last game, mm-hmm. um, very very miraculous to get through the playoffs and crown a champion. Yeah, and we'll we'll touch on that in a minute. And I just want to use this first little bit of of the show to kind of contextualize this whole season. So, you know, before a, a technical difficulty earlier in the show, <laughs> earlier in the live stream, Willie and I were talking about does this win for the Dodgers mean there should be an asterisk next to their championship? And I said no, of course not. If you can go out there and you can win a championship under these circumstances with the type of situation that all those players felt for the entire season, albeit a short season, but for all those seasons, you deserve to be up there with every other team. Yes, there were more teams in the playoffs, and that opened the door for everyone else, but the Dodgers still had a stupidly high winning percentage this year. They won 43 games out of 60. That's stupidly high. And on top of that, they led the league in basically every statistical category, or they were near the top in every one of those categories. And during the postseason, it was either clutch t- clutch hitting, great defense by the best player in baseball, not named Mike Trout. And, you know, you and I are talking about this. Does it deserve an asterisk? No, of course not. Yeah, no, I, I would completely agree. I mean, they everyone had to deal with the same situation. At the end of the day, they won fair and square. Um, and we got through the postseason until the last day without really COVID. So it wasn't like teams were really missing anyone um you know of course some teams had players you know opt out but and they you know they won the the uh series without the fans roaring at dodger stadium right Mm -hmm. they would have had home field advantage throughout the playoffs so you know i I absolutely think uh it doesn't deserve an asterisk and you know of course fans will will try to take it away yeah especially giants fans and, and people who just don't like the dodgers in general will try to take it away just because of that you know that built-in animosity, if you will. Sure, I, I would say the only the only maybe what ifs you can have besides you know injuries if there's a long season is just you think about some of the young teams in the playoffs and maybe they would have had time to gel. Like if you look at like a team like the Padres, you know maybe the Marlins, um, even to some extent Tampa Bay, who's this is kind of their second year being good. Maybe over a 162-game season, they would have, um, you know, developed more. But overall, I don't think at all you can put an asterisk. I think they they handled the situation just like everybody else. Yeah, I mean, and you have to think about the fact that back in March, when the season was initially canceled or postponed, yep. I think you and I were both kind of in the same boat. I, I don't know how much we talked about it at the time, but we're in the same boat that, like, is there actually going to be a season? We don't, we don't know who's going to come back first. I honestly have no idea. And just to have a season in the first place was something great. 
because there's more than just a actual physical health element of the pandemic that affects players. It's a mm -hmm. mental health bit of it too. And I want to use a couple seconds just to contextualize and talk about the importance of mental health. Willie and I were talking about this before we even went live on the stream. Mental health is one of the most important things to take care of, period, regardless of whether or not we are in a pandemic. Being in the situation we are only exacerbates the need to take care of yourself from a mental perspective, whether that means practicing extra self-care, whether that means going to see a medical professional if you do need help. There's no shame in doing that. I've talked about this before. You've talked about this before. There's no shame in saying, yeah, I need to go see someone who is literally trained and paid to do this very job. And so it has its pretty significant toll and it means you have to take care of your mental health, period. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, it's so important. And I, I just think that the, you know, the pandemic in particular, whatever, you know, mental health issues everyone does, it, it really exacerbates them in ways that I don't even think we realize to what extent it does. And so it's the, you know, feeling good is the most important thing there is. So I encourage everyone to, you know, do whatever they can to help themselves. It, it shouldn't be a taboo subject. It should be just everyone wants to feel themselves. And hopefully we can, you know, by keep talking about it, we can hopefully remove the stigma and encourage people to, to seek out help and do what they can to help themselves. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's really the name of the game. So, yep. you know, we're all in this, we're all in this at the same time. There's no shame in saying, you know what, I'm not doing great right now. I need to go talk to someone. And really all it comes down to is just swallowing your pride. If you do think there is an element of pride holding you back or just understanding that these are tough times for everyone. Let's, let's get through it together. Mm -hmm. there's, there's no shame in saying that, but anyways, uh, so really quickly before we get into the nuts and bolts of the World Series, and we'll talk about Premier League later, we're actually going to be doing something new with this podcast. So usually we'll have the full version of the show uploaded and uh, published 7 a.m. Pacific time, 10 a.m. Eastern time on Fridays. But we're going to do something a little different this week. We're going to release this podcast at the same time, but there's going to be two segments. The first mm -hmm. segment's going to be baseball. Second segment's going to be soccer. And we're going to split those up. So... There will actually, now that I think about it, be three versions. The full version of the podcast, the soccer version, and the baseball version. It'll have the open and then that specific segment. The hot take specific part will both will be in both sections, so you don't miss anything. If there's if there's a take about either soccer or baseball that, mm. that you don't miss in one of the segments, you'll be able to get the full picture. And ultimately, you'll get a better view of what it is that we're talking about, and hopefully we'll provide a more entertaining show, but also one that is segmented towards people who actually care about one sport more than the other so mm -hmm. have to talk about soccer football mm -hmm. the beautiful game whatever you want to call it specifically in england and beyond yeah. there's obviously champions league action this week and next week and there was last week as well a lot of champions yeah. league match days back to back to back mm. unfortunately for us though there's there aren't any i guess blockbusters i mean manchester united arsenal is a big game but both of those clubs have not been the same levels that they were back mm. in the the wenger uh Sorales ferguson days yeah. right but it's still a good matchup and it's one to watch for sure but it's not the it's not the big heavyweight one and two at the top of the table matchup that we're used to seeing yep but i'm interested to see what we, we, what, we what kind of result we get from the game because mm. neither team has been all that consistent in the league but That's in right. Europe, they've both been phenomenal. Great. They've absolutely been great. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So United, a perfect 
two out of two so far in the Champions League in their group, beating mm-hmm. PSG beating and thrashing, Leipzig. Yeah, too. thrashing Leipzig at home, and three weeks ago losing to Tottenham six one at home. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. just the beauty of the Premier League. It it absolutely is. The Premier League is crazy, and yeah, I, I'm I'm very curious to see what what this Man United team has. I mean, I just think there's so much there's so much questions. It just feels like it feels like every week the outlook is different. You know, one week it's like this team is really overrated. You know, Ali should he have the job? The next week it's like, all right, this is this is how the team is supposed to look. Pogba looks good. Marcus Rashford looks, you know, really great. So it's like they're so inconsistent. But, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a, a very good game. Yeah, for them it's like the good is good and the bad is bad. There's no in between. Yeah. There's no just ho-hum. And it was funny. I was watching the highlights from mm-hmm. their game last week against Chelsea United. And... Mm. Interestingly enough, there's a certain play in that game that wasn't included in the extended highlights video that NBC Sports puts out. Okay. And it was the no call, red card, should have been red card, and penalty on Harry Maguire (laughs) or Aspilicueta. And the wrestling move he decided to bust out. Yes, we can talk about, we can take this and talk about VAR, but I want to focus in on Hmm. Man United. Whether or not you and I like it, they are the biggest club in England, if not one of the top three clubs in the world. They're no Real Madrid-Barcelona, but they're right up yeah. there. And yeah, you have to admit, there's a little bit of a bias towards those clubs. I mean, this may be sour grapes because, you know, Liverpool are Liverpool. But at the end of the day, I think there is this, this gravitational pull towards United that we don't see from other clubs. And, you know, obviously a good United is good for the league because of the revenue, number one, but also because of the the sheer attraction to the Premier League. But this is not the Manchester United that we're used to seeing. This is a very different Manchester United. It's a gettable Manchester United in domestic competition, surely. But then you look at Europe. They beat the Champions League finalists and they (laughs) in Paris and they beat. RB Leipzig, the semifinalists at home, and they thrash them. So, like, what, which, which Man United are we seeing? I think that the really interesting thing about about them on is that, truthfully, and this is sad for I think Manchester United fans, which is that. When you talk about teams like this, you want to be a title-winning team or a team that can compete with the European Giants. Like you, you want to just become an elite team. Mm-hmm. And no matter how bad the rebuild takes, you just want to feel like you're there. And unfortunately, with Manchester United, they are just not a, 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 a title or a European Giant on the field. And I just don't think they are. Um, and yes, they can have their good days and, and certainly compete with teams. But like, you know, you look at obviously Liverpool and Manchester City are giants. And you, and you look like a team at Chelsea and you say this team, when they 
you know, I know I'm a little biased, but you say, look, this team has more than enough talent. If they can just gel a little bit better and correct some certain things, this team is absolutely talented enough to compete with any team in Europe. Man United's just not the case. And it's just, sad as a United fan, yes, they can come their good days, they have their good days, but until they fill some of the gaps in their squad, until they get a new manager, and until they get more consistency from certain players, like the Pogba's, the Rashford, the Martial's, they're just, the Maguire's, they're just not going to, they're, they're going to be no more than a good day, bad day team. That's what they are. Yeah. Maybe a team that's, right now, they're a top four team. Like, they're competing for top four, but they're not competing for a title. They're not competing for European ti- titles. So I, I think it's just a recognition that they they need some they need some, they have work to do. Yeah, and personally, I mean, you can probably agree with this as well. I mean, a little less so because you've seen your team win multiple Premier Leagues as a fan. But seeing United go through what other clubs like Liverpool, their arch rivals, and even Man City have gone through in their history is kind of entertaining. You know, I, I don't want to hate on United too much, but it's like it just shows you the level of ups and downs you can have in the sport. Man United in, in the 90s and 2000s up until 2013 were basically unstoppable. For Alex, Sir Alex Ferguson created one of the most invincible sides ever. Not actually invincible like Arsenal, but one of the most feared sides in Europe that we've seen in a long time. I think up there they're up there with Pep's Barcelona, oh, certainly. Yeah. They're up mm-hmm. there with a Real Ma- those Real Madrid teams. Mm-hmm. You know, pick pick the poison. <laughs> honestly, it's Real yeah. Madrid, uh, and you know, to see them fall from that is just a reminder that no matter how good you think a team is, no matter how long you think they can be successful for, nothing's really permanent, and no, and the and mighty to, can fall really far. And that, and Simeon, it's interesting now that you bring up, that you brought up. I think that's the most interesting thing thought I had just now, and just like you know, you can talk about the podcast is like. We just have to acknowledge that Manchester United are what they are. They're not the old team they were. There's not a quote-unquote return to normal until they can show it. Their default status is, is lower now. It is what it is. And I'm not convinced that, you know, they, they are they, – they have to improve. They, yeah. they absolutely have to improve. Yeah. They're, they're not what they were. And – I, I will just say that, you know, they are really, really at risk of falling pretty hard, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I know I'll... it's hard to say after they, they thrashed uh, Leipzig, but, I mean, it's gonna, the way they've started in the Premier League, I mean, it's like, are they a lock to make the top four? No, not by any stretch. And this will be the second year, you know, well, okay, this would have been the second time in, in three years where they didn't. So pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those seasons though. I mean, through what, seven games, six games, seven games. It, it, it's looking like, you know, does anyone want to actually challenge Liverpool and Arsenal for top four? I mean, outside of the established big six. Yeah. You, you know, it's, it's basically right now, top of the table. It's liver. It's Everton and Liverpool. Aston Villa with a game in hand or third. Yep. Like, 
is is there someone who wants to who someone from the original top six who wants to <laughs> be in the top four right now? Because it's right now it's Liverpool and everyone else outside of the top four. But you know, obviously yeah. it's we're, it's an incredibly small sample size, and we'll get into that too much. But you know, sure. it's just one of those things that any given match week, anything can happen, and to have that level of consistency is really a testament to the level of a team that they had under Sir Alex Ferguson and what has changed since then. Yeah. So, uh, absolutely. You know. Uh, absolutely. You know, I And also just also but I also just want to say too that it's it's to the squad too. It's not just the management. Yeah. Um, this team doesn't have the depth and it doesn't have the star power or consistent players that that team did either. Yeah. So. And of course, you know, this is early in the season. We could be wrong. They could go on an exceptional run. They could make a huge splash in January and yep. bring in three major reinforcements. But as it is right now, you know, like you're saying, they, they don't really have the the depth to be able to withstand the slog that's coming up yeah. between November and February because there's a lot. After the November international break, there's a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Basically, after that international break, we're looking at a month until the festive period, then the festive period, and then the end of the festive period, mm-hmm. and then the Champions League knockout stages. So there's literally no break. If they want to compete for major silverware, they have to be ready, and their squad, you know, like you're saying, I, you know, I also don't think it's big enough. I mean, yes, they have talented youngsters off the bench in Greenwood and Brandon Williams, yep. but ultimately, you feel like they need a little more, and that's weird to say for Man United because they are such a financial powerhouse in yep. in the world, not even just in England, just in the war in the world. But you know, that remains to be seen. So that's game. That's a game to watch for on Sunday. Arsenal, Man United, uh, should be a good one. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It's not the fixed. It's not the, the was it the barn buster that it was before. No, it's not, it isn't. It's not nearly. It doesn't have that same that same bite to it. It's sad. Yeah. Speaking of teams that don't have the same bite as they used to, particularly a couple weeks ago, uh, Liverpool's injury crisis just keeps getting worse. Uh, Fabinho, who's been filling in for Virgil Van Dijk at center back, got injured yep. on we- uh, Tuesday against Michelin in the Champions League. Yep. And it looks like he's going to be out until at least at least after mm. the international break in November, yep. which is going to leave Klopp with one of his senior center backs fit for yep. this weekend because Joel Matip is unlikely to play on Wednesday as on sorry on Saturday as well. Yep. So, you know, we talked about this last week, and it's one of those things where you know I was very quick to defend Klopp and say you know we didn't need to buy another center back. Fabinho, Fabinho can fill in. Jordan Henderson, hell, he can fit in. He can fill in if he needs to. He's got youngsters in the in the club who can make a difference. But ultimately, it's it's one of those things where you know Klopp will likely say this tomorrow in his press conference. But it's very much one of those things that's you know it's like hey, this is a very rare occurrence. Rarely do you see injuries like this to players of the same position happen <laughs> that close to each other. And it's one of those things where even if you plan for it what's to say it doesn't happen in the attacking sense. So say they don't buy Diego Jota in the summer and say they buy another center back. What's to say two attackers don't get hurt. What's to say two midfielders don't get hurt. And they don't reinforce the midfield. So it's, it's those one of those things like I was talking about earlier. It's damned. If you do damned, if you don't, and that's the, that's the issue that managers have to face on a regular basis. And so, you know, again, I'll say I, I don't mind Klopp's decision not to go out and splash 80 million pounds on, a certain defender, mm. whether that's uh, Koulibaly from Napoli or um, 
or I mean any other quality center back. I know they're looking at uh, one of Schalke's young center backs now as cover for for Van Dyke in January, but that's only because now there's an a really significant crisis at center back. But typically you don't need to plan for stuff like that. I mean, you do, but in a pandemic, even a club like Liverpool after winning the Champions League and then the next year winning the Premier League, having the financial flexibility to be able to do that and remain sustainable is tough. And for a club yep. that hasn't had continued success for an extended period like United, like Chelsea, <laughs> like Man City, even like Arsenal, it's it's hard to be able to do that. <laughs> so let me ask you this, Owen. What do you think this means for the team right now? I mean, can they get by? I mean, is there going to be a big drop-off in play from the team? There, I mean, okay, let's get the one thing out of the way. We talked about this last week. I'm not going to deny this. I'm going to make the same point this week. There's going to be a drop-off in the standard. They're going to concede more goals this year than they have in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say they're not going to be a good team. That's not mm-hmm. to say they can win close games. Mm-hmm. It's just that they're going to miss the quality of a world-class center back. And mm-hmm. even in his absence, a solid defensive midfielder who filled in admirably at that role for a couple games and then unfortunately had the the injury bug hit and you know it's it's not something that you can necessarily see coming and even if you plan for it at one position you have two others and if you don't have the money to be able to do that and remain sustainable in the long term and we know (coughs) fsg are all about sustainability rather than just straight up success they want to see teams remain profitable and efficient in the way they're able to keep generating revenue streams and remain a profitable organization. You're just not going to see the kind of, the kind of cash that, you know, say a Manchester city can splash on a defender or even a man United or a Chelsea. It's just not the Liverpool way to do things. And I don't think it's an indictment of Klopp Mm -hmm. necessarily. I'm sure he says, yeah, I, I would like to have another player at this position, but does mm. it make financial sense for the club? Is it within our means? Is it something that is going to upset the squad if we just bring in? If we show this team of players who went from one season to the next relatively unchanged and went from winning a Champions League to winning a Premier League by a runaway margin and adding a world-class defender, that sure. message it sends says basically, yeah, you guys aren't good enough. We're going to bring in this superstar. So Klopp is, yep. ver- is very wary of that. He's a very good man manager, and he understands the psychology of... Uh, his player he understands the the mindsets of his players and it's it's very much a do your job next man up kind of mentality so it's going to be reese williams it's going to be uh nat uh, matt phillips or nat phillips nathan phillips yeah the liverpool the young center back who annual technically yeah yeah, who came back from uh came back from loan last year to knock everton out of the fa cup and then went back on loan immediately that was one of the highlights of last year, I think. That was a great game. Yeah, Curtis Jones with the what seventy eighth minute screamer. That him. was five four game. The five four. No, that five five uh, five five was Arsenal. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that that's was right. that was against Arsenal. Uh, Origi, of course, with the the equalizer in the ninety fifth minute because yep. that's that's what oh, he does. Right. He scores oh, big yeah. goals. That's oh, all. That he does. was incredible. Yeah, no, I remember. Yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. Uh, but yeah, back to the point. It's Klopp's gonna rely on. He's gonna rely on youth. He knows youth is ready to go. He. You know, he knows that sometimes you can't have the ideal scenario to throw young kids into the equation, but if the situation calls for it, you just have to do it sometimes. Yeah, and um, no, absolutely. Uh, he's going to have to rely on youth. He's going to have to, you know, they're going to have to fill in the gap in leadership. Um, and I mean, I will say one point, which I do think 
one interesting thing is that you know I have noticed like Liverpool has made some tweaks to their lineup. They're going a little more attacking this year. They're playing a lot of four-two-three-one. You know, Jota has been getting a lot of playing time. They're 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 going on the attack a little bit more, and maybe, just maybe, that little tactical wrinkle could help them in a time like this, um, when they have, you know, defensive problems. So I, I think that's one little thing to watch out for. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they they're not as reliant on they can win higher scoring games, or they can even be on the fr- I mean. Uh, they can be on the front foot even more than they were. That, that that's one thing. Sometimes your your best defense is, is offense, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that that's one thing to watch out for. Yeah, and especially when a certain Spanish midfielder or Spanish nationality Brazilian-born midfielder comes back from injury, another injury thanks to Everton. Thank you, Everton, for injuring two <laughs> of our best players. That's all you're yeah. good for. Hope you get relegated. Uh, when Tiago comes back from injury, he's going to be an important cog in midfield because. He can sit in the number six and not act as a kind of destroyer who's someone who's going to break up play, but yeah. he's going to be someone who just calmly distributes the ball from side yeah, to side, keeps the play around. going, passes it around here and there, maybe looks for a pass in between the lines here and there, maybe hits a diagonal to one of the fullbacks, but mm. he's going to help Liverpool control games a lot better and make it so that they can win games just by literally passing the hell out of their opponents. I remember last year against yeah. Sheffield at home, that was literally what Klopp said the game plan was, was just to score a couple early goals and then bludgeon them to death with however many passes they had that game, like 700 passes or 800, however many passes they had that game. It was a stupid number. But Mm -hmm. with Thiago, that's going to make that kind of game plan a lot easier. And in games like that, you have to be ready ready for the counterattack, certainly, and set pieces, of course. But and also, yeah, and also, you think about even dropping Firmino in the hole Mm -hmm. like they've been doing uh, too. Another way to just link up play, mm-hmm. dominate possession. That might be their best option is just to dominate the ball, dominate possessions. And look, look, here's the one thing I'll say. First of all, Liverpool are not as structurally open as some of the teams that really struggle on counterattacks. Mm-hmm. But look, as much as we criticize some of these big squads for their defensive frailties, you know, Liverpool are, are still nowhere near that. And it look, it's hard if you get, look, one or two chances and you got to put them away. I mean, yes, maybe they'll concede more, but if Liverpool dominate the game like they do, I mean, it's going to leave very, still very little margin for error. And also one thing I should just mention, you know, two wins in a row in the Champions League. Champions League doesn't, you know, knockout stage, I don't think that even begins till February. Yeah. So in that competition, they should be fine. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's really the Premier League that they got to worry about. Yeah, and I think by that point, by by February, Klopp will have assessed the squad to the point where he understands what needs to change, if anything, yeah. and he'll go out and make the change if he needs to. Remember, Virgil van Dijk was a January buy for the club. Yes, I mean, he, he was linked to come in the summer, but that's a whole other thing entirely. So whether or not he's actually a true, quote-unquote, January acquisition is one thing. But, you know, I, I trust Jurgen Klopp to be very, very smart about this. This yeah. is not his first time dealing with oh, issues like this or dealing with clubs that don't have a lot of money to spend and have to get creative. That's right. He knows what he's doing. He's won basically everywhere he's been. So to any Liverpool fans listening to this who are a little worried about the team, I'd say just trust in Klopp until at least February. If the results in February are not what you expect, then you can get a little concerned. But 
ultimately, I mean, he brought Liverpool their first title in 30 years. Can you really blame him all that much for any any issues that he potentially causes by a lack of activity? I mean, I don't know. It's it's all no. speculation. I do want to switch over to Chelsea, though, because we've been going at this for quite a while, almost two hours. Oh, yeah. I want to let you uh, talk about Chelsea a little bit because the difference that a good goalkeeper has made for that oh, squad <laughs> is literally yep. night and day. Yeah, uh, Mendy's made a huge difference for the team. Um, I, look, absolutely. Um, look, I think, you know, and as these other sports will end, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk a lot more soccer, you know, there's a lot you can get into, but that's definitely, I mean, look, the big picture takeaway for Chelsea right now, great goalkeeper so far, no jinx, and three clean sheets in a row. And, um, yes, Mendy has made some huge, he's, in um, the Champions League, he's made some big saves. He made some great saves in that Man United game. I mean, that save against, uh, I think, Rashford. Yeah, at like, the end of the game? Oh. Yeah, diving to his left. That was a phenomenal save. And, and the uh, should be proud of that. Yeah. And, look, it, as you know with Liverpool, it, it, it absolutely makes night and day. Now, you know, Chelsea and, and Frank, and so, and then in terms of Chelsea itself, you know, Frank Lampard was talking at the end of... Uh, the Champions League game against Kranzdor, um, and he said, we're, we're starting to get the balance right. I, I like the balance that we're having, and that's the big thing. Chelsea's still trying to tinker with personnel and formation. They kind of switched from a back three to a back four, but they, they're they starting to get the discipline better. And so, you know, I, I think this is just a team where, you know, I do think that they could use a legitimately, like, top-class center back. But they're going to start hitting their best form pretty soon, I think. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think the results of late have been only positive for Chelsea. They give them a lot of confidence going forward. This weekend's going to be a big test because it is against a team who likes to sit back and focus on the, you know, 4-4-2, two banks of four, hoof it up to your big six-foot-four center mm-hmm. forward, you know, classic kind of English counterattacking football. And it'll be yep. an interesting test because it'll leave – you know, if, if Chelsea want to go and dominate the game, as they probably will, it'll leave space in behind, it'll leave space in the counterattack, and whether or not yep. they'll be able to handle it defensively, I think having a good goalkeeper will help with that. A but lot. Of course, we don't we don't know, you know, any given Sunday or in the NFL, any given any given match week in the Premier League. So it's something very interesting to watch. Um, you know, I think they're finally starting to kind of hit their rhythm, which is not something as a, a, a rival that you want to see. Mm. But... You know, again, this was not going to be one of those seasons that just ends up in a catastrophe. You know, Chelsea yeah, I, Chelsea are too well equipped to deal with situations like that. I think that what I will say, yeah, no, they're too talented. I mean, they just they've spent too much money yeah. to have a low floor. But I think that the the Champions League game against Kranzdorf was a flash of how scary this team can look when they're right. I mean. Ziyech gets a goal, Pulisic gets a goal, Werner draws a penalty. You know, uh, Pulisic and Havertz are, when he comes on, are linking pretty well. You know, hudson Adoy gets a goal. Um, that front four with, you know, Havertz as a number 10 and the three are, I mean, really scary when you give them space. Yeah. So I just can't wait to see them. Um, you know, they've got to figure out the balance. You know, I'm not sure 
you can necessarily play a 4-2-3-1 against these really good teams the way they are without the great, you know, pressing that other teams do to, you know, pr- to stop, uh, prevent the teams from capitalizing on your open defense. But, I mean, it's st- the, the players are starting to gel better. So Yeah. That's- yeah. I think it's, it's only progress in the right direction. And I just want to get your quick take on this before we go to hot takes and, and get out of here. Yeah. What do you think uh, my personal take on Timo Werner has looked like through the first few games of the season? So my take was initially that his ceiling is a Jamie Vardy type ceiling mm-hmm. where, yeah, he could, he could score 20 in a season, but I'm not going to see him scoring 30 in a season, all comps or 25 in the league personally. Mm-hmm. But how would you assess what okay. you've seen out of him in the first few games of the season? Yeah. Um, you know, I can, I, I, I think, uh, look, I can see both sides of the argument. I, I can absolutely see the, here's the thing that I see with Timo Werner. The thing I see with Timo Werner is, one of the reasons he struggles against you talk about defenses that drop off is I think his movement could be better. I think that his movement around the goal to kind of just get free from defenders and nick in crosses like a Tammy Abraham does could be a lot better. But he's also shown lots of flashes and there there are good moments. He he will dribble past someone, get free in the box, kind of just miss his finishes. So I don't think there's anything too concerned to worry about, but I can see why the criticism is for him. And overall, I will say he hasn't gotten off to a great start. You'd wish he'd, he'd scored more to this point. Yeah. And I think, you know, the tough thing is obviously going to a new league. Yeah. Uh, you know, as a young player and a club like Chelsea where the expectation is so high, and that can weigh yeah. on you. Of course, that can weigh on mm-hmm. anybody when you are expected from basically day one to perform, even if the manager says, I'm not expecting you to perform from day one, the fans are, and the club is, because they are investing that much money in you that they expect you to be a star right out of the gate. And, you know, it's obviously unfair to say that through, what is it, eight games, nine games he's played in all competitions at at this point? Yeah. uh, That he's been bad? No, he's he's been serviceable. Excuse me. And... Yeah. I think he'll only get better if he continues on this kind of pattern. Now, the caveat is obviously English football is different. Mm. The the whole 10 men behind the ball thing is not something you see as commonly in Germany or in Europe, but it's basically every team in the top half or sorry, every team in the bottom half in England has that ability to just pack it in and hit you on the counterattack. And those are the kinds of systems, ironically, that Timo Werner plays really well in, because he is yeah, so quick and he understands how to how to break on a counterattack. Yeah, and and you know, to be honest, you saw a little bit of that in the the Southampton game. The game was a little bit more open. He scored two goals. He was really linking up well with the front three. So I, I can absolutely see what you're saying, and I, I, yeah, so it's it's definitely a criticism, and I can I, I I am I am a little bit worried too, but. You know, we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. He doesn't quite look super sharp yet. Yeah, but, you know, I, I think we have yet to see the best. I mean, it, it's it's early, of course, 
Mm. And we have yet to see the best in my, in my opinion. But again, I, I'm not, I don't rate him as highly as I think others would. And I, I said this before, the reason Liverpool went after him in the offseason was to cover one of the front three. He's not to start. He wasn't going to start in that Liverpool team. I think that's give... why he said he, he uh, didn't want to go there. Yeah, exactly. Because like, he said he, he was guaranteed playing time at Chelsea. He wanted to play. And, and he, let's be honest, he's probably making a lot more money at Chelsea than he would at Liverpool, just from his wages perspective. He, I yeah. mean, I, I'm pretty sure he's on, like, what, at least 200000 a week? Mm-hmm. If, if uh, not yeah. a, a full 300000 a week, which is absurd. Absolutely. But, but yeah, you know, this is all speculation. That's why we're fans of the sport. That's why we do what we do. That's why we, in some cases, wake up stupidly early on Saturdays. And in some cases, how we watch recorded games and, and, you know, keep our phones off until we watch the end of the game. Like I did with the Merseyside Derby a couple of weeks ago. Oh, I wish I didn't watch that game, though. That's uh, uh, that was yeah. rough. Let's get into hot takes because this is the part of the show that I like the most. And I think the difficult thing is going to be keeping it if we do segment the show like we were talking about the, at the beginning mm-hmm. uh, of keeping these consistent with the two episodes. So I think what we'll actually do is we'll keep this part uh, on both the soccer and the baseball segments or whatever, however we decide to split up from a uh perspective uh segmented perspective we'll put it that way so yeah for our hot takes willie yeah what you got well why don't you go first well we can go back and forth one at a time all right here's uh here's my hot take and you know i kind of hinted at this earlier but the only reason clayton kershaw has a ring now is because the dodgers figured out how to protect him they figured out that you By all means, have to take the pressure off Clayton Kershaw and put the ball in his hand and say, we don't need seven shut from you. We don't need six shut from you. Five shut would be cool. Four shut is really all we're asking for. Because four is essentially, you know, if you you figure in a couple hits, it's basically once through the lineup. Wow. And they were able to do that because they built a bullpen that had a proper mix of long relievers and high leverage guys who came in and performed Julio Urias turned into a long guy, but also a high leverage guy at the end of the game. Victor Gonzalez was good in spurts. Henley Jansen was good in spurts, not the whole way through. Pedro Baez was good in spurts. Dylan Flora was, was solid. Mm-hmm. Gonsolin out of the pen as an opener and as part of a starter. Uh, he struggled a little bit, but on the whole was good. Dustin may high leverage guy. High velocity. Yeah. And what that does... Oh, and, and the addition of Walker Bueller, too. And Walker Bueller really turning into Walker F and Bueller. Oh, that yeah. is a huge help for Kershaw. Because he doesn't have to be Clayton Kershaw yeah. anymore. He can just be another pitcher on the staff who goes out and throws the ball over the plate and hope they swing and miss. Or not hope they swing and miss at it, but gets swings and misses. So, really, the only reason that he has a ring now is because the Dodgers became a complete team regardless of his record in the past. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't, look, if they don't have, look, if the Dodgers don't have the resources, right, they'd probably leave Kershaw in for, in game one and five, right? Yep, yep. Um, so absolutely, look, you, you are absolutely right. I can't, I can't fault you for saying that. Um, and, Look, that five and two thar- third start game was wobbly, and man, that could have ended really badly 
Yep. And I can also say that if the Dodgers lose that game, I think they they may very well lose Game Six. So, you know, I can't I can't disagree. I can't disagree with you on that. That's that's my take, and I'm sticking to it. But it's irrelevant now. Kershaw's a world champion. Yeah. And he he earned it. He didn't just ride a better team, like my take may have insinuated. Mm-hmm. He went out there and he pitched. He pitched well. Okay. So hats off to Clayton Kershaw. He's a world champ. Wow. Okay. All right, Owen. I'll give you. I'll give you my first one. So, like a lot of these said, this one might turn out to be really foolish because he actually did have a good year. But I thought of this hot take because I don't know if you saw the video of of Manny Machado. I don't know if you saw the. Did you did you see the video of his interaction with the fan? Mm-mm. So Manny Machado had. Um, a interaction with a fan, and it's interesting. This fan released a clip uh, after oh, the. Oh no no no! Now I know what you're talking about. You're talking about when he was in at Dodger Stadium. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Go ahead. Okay. So I'm just going to make a really bold prediction, which is that I think Manny Machado is going to turn out to be a little bit of a bust. Uh, honestly, I don't hate the take. Okay. From what we've seen from him so far, he hasn't been, you know, the complete Manny Machado that yeah. the Padres signed well, him to be after 2018. And to be fair, I mean, he had a pretty good year this year, mm-hmm. but it was short sample size. But last year was a, a pretty big disappointment. Yeah. But I think the thing that's going to help him going forward, and this is going to be interesting to watch, is his relationship with Fernando Tatis Jr. Oh, yeah. And how it people... Like yeah, and people around the club have has said that not only has Machado made Tatis better, but Tatis has made Machado better because yeah. Tatis has been like little brother, big brother with yeah. Machado. So if you yeah. have someone who's following you around constantly trying to get a look at how you go about your business, you're going to kind of step it up a little bit and be a little more professional. And you're going to you know, focus on the little things that ultimately can lead to success, more sustained success. Yeah, I, that's, that's a really interesting dynamic. And it's, you know, it's so funny is it's almost like... Uh, yeah, it's so interesting how he deferred. He went to third base. You know, he's brought out the best in him, and he's maybe also just excited him because he he makes the team good. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely, that is a, a really big dynamic to watch for. But yeah, I'm curious to watch Machado going forward. I mean, I'm I'm curious to see if he's going to be the guy that the Padres and people think he he really could be a guy that's you know an elite fielder and hitter. But um, you know, he shows a lot of power, but he can go hot and cold at the plate overall. Yeah, no, definitely. And mm-hmm. it's interesting to watch that dynamic unfold, particularly mm-hmm. for Machado, because he's, I don't want to say he's had attitude problems, but mm-hmm. that's always been one of the big assessments of his game is his character and the way he kind of goes about his business. That's been one of the, the critiques. And, yeah. you know that's a big part of whether or not a player is successful is if they're put in the right environment where they're able to go about their business in a way that doesn't impact other players of the team in a negative way, but also allows them to feel comfortable. So yeah. it's up to the Dodgers, to, or Dodgers, up to the Padres to create that kind of environment for Machado if they want him to be successful. That said, yeah. you know, it, it was the, this was the first full year of both Machado and Tatis. And Tatis missed a lot of last year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he. I think uh, last few months. Yeah, like and and I think that kind of played into the disappointment. But you know, after seeing 
Machado for a full year and Tatis for you know most of rookie year. I think this was kind of the coming out party for for both of them. Mm-hmm. At least Machado as a Padre, not you know he's already he's been in the league for a while, but for Tatis certainly. So, but yeah. I you know I can't I can't fault that take. He's making a lot of money, and for someone with yeah. that payroll or someone with that salary to be considered a bust, the the standard's pretty. I don't want to say low standard, but the threshold for them to be considered a bust is pretty low. Yeah. Just considering yeah, money. No. But ultimately, yeah. I do understand what you're saying, and I do I do accept that take. Yeah. We'll see. No, we'll see. I don't think it's necessarily will be a bad contract, quote unquote. But we'll see. There's a lot of wiggle room. It's not going to be a pool hole situation or something like yeah. that. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. So right, you the only other hot take I have, and I actually just thought of this now. Just I'm I'm looking ahead to what's coming up in the next couple of weeks in the world of sports. And there's a certain golf tournament in Georgia in a couple of weeks. Oh, masters yeah. is in two weeks, two weeks okay. from today is the first day of the masters. And yeah. part of me is very excited. Part of me is not really interested just because it's going to be different with no fans. It's going to mm. be different hearing less roars, fewer, fewer roars around Augusta. That's always been the defining part of any masters is the roars around the, the big Georgia Pines. And, yeah. you know, I have a take about the Masters. All right. Let's, I have a take about a specific, uh, two specific players. Okay, let's, let's hear was, it. The take was originally one, but I've decided to spice it up a little bit by, by adding another one. All right. So, Mr. 400-yard, 200-mile-an-hour uh, ball speed Bryson DeChambeau <laughs> is going to miss the cut. Wow. And okay. the player donning that green jacket in two weeks from Sunday is none other than a one no. Rory McIlroy oh, to complete the wow. career Grand Slam. I love it, bro. Wow. I really want to see Rory win the Grand, win the, the career Grand Slam. I want to see him win the Masters. And honestly, I think this is probably his best chance to do it because... In a different-looking season, he's played more than I think I expected him to stateside. I don't know if he's playing this week or not, or next week. But uh, so yeah, no, he plays. He plays. Uh, you know, he, he's settled in Florida and he yeah. doesn't want to travel as much anymore. So yeah. he, and he played last week, I think. He at, did uh, out at Sherwood. Now, I think he, from what I saw, he played pretty well. Yeah, I mean the the big thing overall with McIlroy though is you know he that that'll be interesting. Um, he 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 was on a historic tear before COVID, and for the most part, with the few exceptions recently, he really hasn't looked himself since um, the PGA Tour resumed uh, post uh, COVID uh, yeah. lockdown. Well, I, think, I think after the Tour Championship though, I think that's the time when players get to you know mentally reset, and I think. This is going to make, you know, having a, a major so early in the year mm. is going to make players who haven't won a major and players who haven't won, say, the career Grand Slam, like Rory, extra motivated to go out there and and put in a performance that he can be proud of. And two well, weeks from now, you know, I think he has a really good shot to be holding up that green jacket. He'll be wearing that the beautiful, beautiful jacket only given to the winners of the most prestigious golf tournament in the world. Wow. I'm glad I thought you were going to say tiger again. I wanted to say tiger like halfway, halfway through my thought, but I was like, you know, uh, tiger did not really play well at Sherwood. He's not playing again until the masters and to not have that competitive sharpness and to not have that, those competitive reps 
it can really hurt you. I understand why he's doing what he's doing, just because he is, what, 44 at this point? Or however old he is, 43, 44, yeah. 45 maybe? Uh, 40, I don't know. Yeah, I think. I think he's 43. So, you know, ultimately, I'd like it to be Tiger personally, but I'd also be okay with Rory, and I think Rory has a better chance. And I'm just going to say it now, I'll probably be wrong, but the Green Jackets well, going back to Northern Ireland. Yeah. No, I mean, that would be an incredible story. I mean, yep. he's obviously you can, he's, he's fallen short at the Masters and, and had some tough losses there. So, yep. so that, that, that would really be epic. That would really be epic. Um, okay, Owen, I have one more take. Right, what do you got for us? It's funny you uh, mentioned that because uh, it, it might also have a uh, golf take too, which is that now this is I know more with my heart than my head. But, That's what these takes are about. Okay, I, I'm just going to say it. Um, you know, a lot of times the beauty of sports is these legends – you know, really go out. Um, I, I think, Owen, that before it's done, Phil Mickelson will win a U.S. Open. Really? He, he, he has, he's shown really, he's shown glimpses of form. He has a lot left to give. And I know that's saying a lot because there's not really much you'd say he's ever going to really be able to play US Open kind of course, but he's got more club head speed. And I just believe that he's going to do it. <laughs> well, he's 50 now, so, he you is. know, he's, he's playing on the senior tour. But yeah, he's, he's playing on the senior tour, but he's in the best shape I think he's ever been in, in his, at the age of 50, which is, you know, yeah, a, a few years ago would have been unprecedented, but now for golfers, it's like it's the norm. I'm not, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm not sure I'm more surprised about um, Phil Mickelson being in this good shape or Tom Brady. I'm, I'm not sure which I'm more, you know, mm, surprised. Probably, probably Phil, if you ask me. Think so? Because Brady oh. has, you know, obviously football's it, it's a completely different sport, but Brady has been so well protected basically his entire career. I mean, Belichick's yeah. MO when Brady was quarterback is always offensive line, control, the line of scrimmage, and that means protect your franchise quarterback. He has, but he's, I mean, still. But yeah, he's, he's taking hits, of course. To be arguably, I mean, I don't care. You're right, he has time, but, I mean, to arguably be, I would even say the best quarterback, yeah. like, still, like, that's incredible. Yeah. No, definitely. But I think, I think it's an interesting thing to watch with Phil because he's gotten progressively more fit the older he's gotten. Okay. Uh, his calves now are like the size of my head. <laughs> That's a massive exaggeration, but he has big calves now. And, and Tiger ribbed him when they had the match back in, when was it? Sometime in, uh, oh my God, I can't remember, remember when the match was at this point. Some point in the summer. Uh, oh, but oh. Tiger uh, ribbed Phil for never shutting up about his calves. About, oh. his, about having big calves and hitting bombs. He got nice calves. Bro. So, he, got nice he does have nice calves. I got to give it to him. You know, respect. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, I'll just say this. I mean, I would say out of your two, I mean, definitely Bryson DeChambeau missing the cuts probably the more surprising, but it, that can definitely happen. So well, so the thing is, you know, obviously I don't have an in-depth look at how Bryson is preparing for the Masters. Obviously, he's, I think he's the favorite right now, is he not? Or he's one of the favorites. 
Uh, I'm not sure about the odds or anything. Yeah, but so, you know, he's going to be one of the names we're going to talk about going into the Masters just because he did win the U.S. Open in such an impressive fashion on such a tough golf course. But, you know, here's the thing. Long hitters do well at Augusta, but you kind of also have to have a really, really good idea of how precise to be and how to judge conditions properly. And we know he's very precise when it comes to looking at conditions and assessing the game holistically. But at the same time, you also have to be able to putt on those greens and you have to be able to get up and down when you need to and go on runs when you need to. And sometimes I feel like in the distance age when players are focusing on hitting at 400 yards, mm. the emphasis on short game and scoring diminishes yeah. and you also, can't have that and hope to win at Augusta. Also, also, you know, you need to hit irons, you need to hit uh, angles, you gotta be able to bend, work the ball both ways mm-hmm. and stuff. Too. You have to be so, precise if you're gonna yeah. miss in the trees, and yeah. you have to be able to move the ball both ways with every club in the bag. And that's that's why the Masters is what it is. It's not gonna test. It's not gonna test potentially every facet of your game, mm. every single round. But it's gonna make you work. It's gonna make you think, and it's gonna put an emphasis on the more the intangibles, if you will. There's just there's just no other tournament like it in in the U.S. Open or in the in the US Open. There's no other tournament like it in golf because it's the only tournament that's played on the same exact course every single year. Uh, every the only major, of course, mm-hmm. that's played on the same course every year. So, mm. but I honestly yep. think that he's he's, you know, his head's in the right place as far as gaining a statistical advantage with distance, but at the mm. same time, you do need to be able to put the ball in the hole in fewer shots than everyone else, and that's not always down to how far you hit it. Literally just ask me yeah I mean, I'm, I'm at least 20 yards further than most of the guys i play with at least in some cases 50 but do i win every week no because I, I can't always score that's the difference in golf and you have to be a complete player at that level to win and bryson is a more complete player than i think a lot of people give him credit for but at the same time if he becomes this one-dimensional distance guy then everything else is kind of go is going to kind of go by the wayside yeah, and and um, I mean, you know what, Owen? Maybe you're maybe you just need to uh, you know get in the gym more. It could be, you know, maybe three hundred in the air is not far enough anymore. Yeah, that, that at, could be at the amateur level. But yeah, no, for sure. I think I'll just say about the Shambo. He he played pretty well before his win. Um, but the difference was he had come really close, and he just was a little off with with his iron play and putting at different times and he put it all together. Yeah. So no matter how long you hit it, you still got to be able to do everything. Exactly. Yeah. End of story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, almost two and a half hours later, Yeah. That was, uh, that was... we have a full on mega podcast that we are going to split up into two parts. So this hot takes part is at the end of whichever segment you're listening to, whether that's baseball or soccer or the combined almost two and a half hour episode. If, if that's your bag, listening to us yap about sports for, for that long. Um, I don't think we have anything else to add before we get out of here. I, I think we're, we, we've covered pretty much all the big stories between, between baseball and soccer. We didn't really talk about Barcelona and, and no. their president leaving, but like, you know, we'll talk about Barcelona when they win the champions league again, or when they actually don't get humiliated in the champions league again, because that seems to be a common theme for them. Um, but you know, it is what it is. It's sports. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's something to keep us occupied during quarantine. So that's a good thing. Yeah. 
Uh, but anyways, folks, uh, take care of your mental health. Take care of yourselves. Stay safe yep. out there. Uh, Willie, any last final thoughts before we get out of here? I do. I do have a final thought, and you don't have to say anything because right. we don't have a long session. Yeah. I'll just say another thing, another managerial aspect of Kevin Cash that's getting very overlooked is the fact that, I don't know, I thought Yandy Diaz and Brasso were two hitters that were hitting well this postseason and hardly, I mean, didn't play that much in the series, mm-hmm. particularly Brasso. So yeah. I thought that's a, a thing. No, I agree I as was. well, definitely. I, I would have liked to see more of Brasso specifically just because of, you know, that home run against the role as Chapman. Oh. Hate to yeah. see it. It's not that bad. He's really not that bad. Uh, all right. Well, folks, take care out there. Stay safe. Uh, stay sane. By the time the next podcast comes around, uh, the election will have passed. We will probably yeah. still be sifting through the craziness that is this whole 2020 election cycle. We're not going to know the results. But yeah. We won't know the results definitively, but we'll have an idea of where everyone stands, where the country stands, and I think that is the most important part. Uh, regardless of what your political affiliation is, please go vote. It's part of our democracy. Just participate yeah. in it. You have a right to do so, and please exercise that right. And your vote, no matter where you live, your vote matters, period. So. Yep, absolutely. Anyways, this has been episode 24 of Hot Takes Only. For my co-host, Willie, this is Owen signing off until next time. We'll see you next time, same next week, I should say. We'll see you next week, same time, same place, here on Twitch, live streamed, or the very next day on Spotify, Anchor.fm, or wherever else you get your podcasts. The distribution is going to be wider than it is right now, but we'll get there one day. Take care, folks.